You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Is a pickle a piece of art? This is the question I want to wrestle with today. We've been thinking about art, how God's an artist, and how we're artists along with God. God made us, and so we're made to make, just like God is. So, it always has to come down to pickles for me. Um, I, I th- I'm, f- I'm fairly serious about food myself. Um, my Twitter profile doesn't call me a foodie yet, but I, I pay attention to what's happening you know, with the, uh, the uh, cutting edge of uh, cooking. And like I read two cooking magazines each month and I try to cook my way through them. So pray for my family as they almost never eat the same thing twice. And because I, I want to experiment, right? New ideas in food, what's happening? What's going on? You know, we're hosting, we're roasting whole heads of cauliflower, right? That'd be probably 2018 kind of trend was happening, you know. So that that was that's interesting, um, and I always read the end of year uh, cookbook list. I read cookbook reviews, and in a few newspapers and try to buy a few, or I pay attention to uh, um, cookbook authors and what they're putting out, how they're making it work, um, and then I also review the cookbooks myself. <laughs> And I, I tend to be very critical of poorly written recipes. Um, it's true, I'll t- I have a whole thing about this I w- that I want to tell you about right now. I won't. Um, so I follow chefs and cooks on Twitter and I read their blogs. So I, and I like, to, I like to cook. Point is, where I'm going is I often bump into artisan recipes. Like artisan pickles or sauerkraut. If you're like, like me from PA Dutch country, there's artisan sauerkraut, right? We used to say if it ain't Dutch, it ain't much. So that, that's part of, the, part of the spirit of what I'm talking about. Fermented beets, right? Is that art? Or sourdough bread. Some people take their sourdough starter with them on vacation. You know, they because they, they, they have to keep feeding the starter. I understand that, you know. Food items that seem impractical to make otherwise, right? But some people devote the time to do it, you know? I have a tendency, for example, to uh, hold my fridge hostage at times because invariably there's something in there that's curing or brining or aging in the fridge. I have like little jars of three-year-old eggnog in there for some reason. With eggs in it and with cream, it exists. It's delicious, you know? So is that art, right? It's good. Around Christmas time, I always bring it out and uh, haunt people with it. Um, you know, it's just a little funky. It's not bad for you. You know, I'm still alive. <laughs> anyway, I don't. Since I don't fancy myself much of an artist, um, and I've generally been enamored with art in general's lack of immediate utility. That's what makes art beautiful. It's lack of immediate. I've fallen victim to not thinking of these things as as art, you know. Of course, you might be looking at me and saying, three-year-old eggnog does lack utility. 
So it still fits in your category as far as usefulness goes, but I, I, I have a different approach to it, right? I, I've fallen victim to the idea that that's not fine art. It's, so if it's not fine art, it's not art. And you were talking to me the other week about um, uh, offering a perspective from your experience, Julius, where you were saying um, folk art isn't often seen as art. Folk art is not a sort of an academic school and it doesn't come with a formal training, so to speak, but it's an expression of one's individual uh, creativity. And there's beauty in, in folk art, um, and the beauty that we find in it is often in the eye of the beholder, right? It's not formalized, it's not, it's not made official by a university or a scholar or someone like that, and then, and then put into a, archived into a sterile museum. Right? There's something more human to it than that, right? more folksy to it than that. And so I'm learning how to advance my own understanding of what art is. Right? Is that then a far cry from uh, learned crafts that are particularly ones that are uh, learned from apprenticeship being seen as art? I think sometimes we suffer too much of a divide between fine art and folk art and artisanship in general. That is, if it can't be hung up in a museum, it's not real art. This is something that I'm working with in myself. That craftsmanship or crafts uh, personship, you could say, that it takes to make a frame that holds the painting isn't enough artistry for our taste. Or at least for me, that was true for a while. But I'm changing. I'm uh, evolving. And I think without changing from that rigid framework, art becomes an elitist endeavor. Only for people who are special enough to be commissioned to make it. But it also makes us realize, it, it, it makes us not realize that we are artists in our own right. I had to even, I, I, I had to realize this even, I learned this in this season of art that we're in, this season of worship that we're in. I changed, I grew in my understanding of what art could be, right? So even over these last uh, less than two months, something happened in me. So I offered a sermon early on where I uh, self-deprecated, which is one of my defense mechanisms, and about not being an artist. That was, I have no artistic, I, have, I don't have an artistic bone in my body. And then someone very kindly suggested that uh, my sermon was a piece of art. You know? <laughs> that was nice to hear. It wasn't a piece of work, it was a piece of art. That was good. And it got me thinking about a time where I made a big hullabaloo, I've never said that word before, but about food not being art. I had a fight about this, about pickles couldn't be art. And here's the column that set me off. This is, so this is 2017, May 11 is when it came out. This is in Deadspin. For some reason, Deadspin's putting out things like this. Um, so, someone out loud read this like you're, a, like you're an angry columnist. That's the, that's the character you have. I'm happy for the food revolution. I'm happy that food becomes such a vital part of the greater culture. I'm glad everyone has a chance to eat sushi and bulgogi delicious breakfast tacos. He is actually glad about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's strange to me that so much of the food scene now is centered 
less than what you can eat than what you cannot, and it prizes many chefs who are bizarrely determined to not give everyone a chance to try their best food, whether it's opening some pop-up restaurant a thousand miles away or changing the menu every hour because they want to push the envelope, or opening an affordable restaurant that can only seat five and a half people at a time, <laughs> and demands testing the limits of both your patience and comfort. We live in a time of plenty, and yet those guys are cranking out FOMO at an almost inhuman pace. What's FOMO? Fear of missing out. So I thought this was interesting. Do you watch the chef's shows, and so you might have an idea about how this exclusivity is formed? Um, and it kind of set me off because I don't think, I don't like food elitism as much as I like food. And here we had chefs that were making food and making it hard to access, more obscure to approach, and sometimes downright challenging on purpose. And I guess their expression of art means it has to be expensive and scarce and exclusive, right? It has to be difficult. And I don't blame them for such a bias because I do think that's how we think about art and that's how we think about how valuable something is. We even think our artistic taste is worse when more people have access to it. Have you noticed this before? Like when a band uh, becomes popular and sells out bigger rooms and now you think normies like them too, right? And so you can't, you can't go to the, you can't, you can't, I like their early obscure stuff, you know? I don't like their stuff now because, you know, my grandma likes it or something, you know? Your poor grandma. Um, it's not as good if everybody likes it. We have this idea, I think, because we value things based on scarcity. That's a simple law of economics, right? The higher demand something has and the lower its supply, the more valuable it is, right? This is like just basic microecon, right? And sometimes we can get tricked into thinking that something is highly demanded because its supply is so scarce. And so we begin to value things that are unapproachable or challenging to achieve, right? Diamonds are valuable. Saudi sand isn't. You can buy a bottle of wine for $500, but you couldn't fill that same bottle with Pacific water and sell it for anything, right? Maybe, maybe shortly water will be as expensive as wine. So we'll see how the scarcity works uh, for us or doesn't. But I think the, kingdom, the, the, the economics of the kingdom of God work differently. God's love, there I mentioned God in case you're waiting. God, <laughs> God's love endures forever. Right? It's abundant forever. It covers everything in the whole world. The grace, the salvation, the love of God covers everything. It consumes everything. We were saying yesterday in our love feast, the consuming fire. Right? It consumes us too. And it isn't cheaper because it's more abundant. Its value is in its availability. Its value is in its abundance and its access to everyone. And so, so the, the, this upside-down kingdom is flipping the economics of the world on its head. And it takes some unlearning to believe that and still think we are valued too. You know, you might think this cool thing that we have, should you think it's cool, is less cool if too many people are into it, right? So just, just be conscious of that, right? And I, I think we face that resistance all the time. 
And I, I, I don't blame us particularly, just like I don't blame the obscure Bulgogi chef, right? I, there's, there's, I, I understand why that's learned. Nevertheless, these pompous chefs fancy themselves as fine artists and they make food less approachable. And I didn't appreciate that. And because art was related to elitism to me, I had a reaction against it. And I started to argue with my friends about how food isn't art. This was my opening argument. I can't believe I wrote this. It was only two years ago. <laughs> I don't think food is art in the same way that music, poetry, or painting is. Artisans, this is what I said, artisans cook, not artists. It can't be artistic because the end result is an art. Now here I really go. It's a capitalist perversion to take a, to take a basic need and make it inaccessible to most people. That doesn't mean food can't be interesting or pleasurable or fun. I consider it not art in the same way that I don't think a slam dunk is art or a baseball swing is art. I'm disagreeing with myself as I'm reading this. Um, good baseball swings are so scarce in the Phillies now, it is fine. <laughs> cooking, cooking is a craft that doesn't demand, now here's the definition. Cooking is a craft that doesn't demand a citation or a byline, and a, and a recipe can't be copyrighted for a good reason. Did you guys know that recipes can't be copyrighted? The text, the instructions of the recipe can be, but the actual recipe can't be. Consider the difference between making a French baguette and writing a poem. I've only done the former. The, the, the former, while artistic, is much, much more definitive. There's a wrong way to make a baguette. There may be a wrong way to write a poem, but it's more debatable. So you're seeing these, uh, this, this, as I'm reading this now, this arbitrary uh, categorization that I'm doing that's easily, uh, that's easily um, debatable, very, very easily, right? And by the way, I went back, I'll, I'll tell you later. I, I can't believe I made this argument two years ago because it's so limiting, right? It's so arbitrary. Artisans cook, not artists. That's an annoying thing to say. <laughs> and I was surprised upon rereading it. That's why I didn't put it up here because I was too embarrassed. I want, I want you to forget that I said this. Uh, upon rereading it, I was, I, I was embarrassed by how bifurcated it was and how it was insulting to people who pour creativity into their arts, into their crafts, rather. Right? It was embarrassing to think it's a byline or a copyright that makes something art? That's pretty backwards, Johnny Rashid. So I resurrected the post two years later and I told my friends, you know what, I was wrong, you were right. So that, that made me feel a little better because I confessed my, uh, my sin. At least that was how it felt. And a thoughtful friend asked me, he said, say more, say more about that. And I'm like, hey, I already said something. And I suggest that I finally learned that folk art is, is uh, as much art as fine art. And I thought I was done, and he pushed me further. And he said, well, why did you conclude that? And I said, I finally relented, okay? Took me 30 seconds, but I wanna be dramatic in this moment. And I told him, I realized I couldn't believe I could be a real artist, and that's what was hanging me up. That I couldn't get there myself, because I'm interested in all these foodie things, but I'm not an artist, and, and, and I don't, don't there, there was some uh, uh, barrier there for me. And so, 
Yes, there is a right way to make a baguette and a French omelet. But that's still art. I mean, the queen, the queen of French cuisine, right? Julia Child wrote a book about it. She was my hero. And I still denied it, right? That's internalized. That's something really in there, right? I mean, it's right there in the title of the book. She says the art. <laughs> and I, I read that title more than most people, right? And so, so it, it, didn't, it didn't sink in. And, and if Julia says it, I think you should just believe her. And the beauty of it is that there is a right way to cook. And it's been passed down from generation to generation, right? There's something that is a treasure to us about how this happens. And there's something that's special about it. And sure, there's room for innovation, but does ingenuity make art alone? I have a hard time believing that. And I think what makes something art is the fact that we made it and that we're in it. And because God made us, God is in our art too. And the closer we get to God, the more clearly we can see God. Conversely, the more we create with this framework in our minds, the closer to God we can become. And when I bifurcate this, this too much, when I divide it too much, when I create a dichotomy too much, I let something bad happen, right? I let uh, rich people control art. Right? I steal from people like me, lowly people, ordinary people, that could be making art that isn't getting the same attention, isn't getting uh, canonized. Right? We start believing the myth that if we make something that's useful, apart from merely being uh, looked at or observed, it's not artistic. Right? That's something that I really need to undo in my mind, because there, there's something dark about that. Ultimately, we make it seem that only special people can have access to God, right? You can easily take it that way. But because we all can, because God is in us, because the Spirit of God is resident in you, how offensive is it to tell a carpenter they aren't an artist because they don't sign their name on their work or because it's useful, right? When we create, when we make, we mimic what God did. We can move towards becoming more like God. And because I denied with impunity, and yes, that was my opening argument, and then it went on for quite a while longer. I didn't want to recite the whole thing for you. Because I denied with impunity that that was not possible for me, I denied God and myself and in what I make. So I want to reassure you that God is in you, that God resides in you, that God lives in you, that God abides in you makes God's abode in you, and the things we make reflect God, whether we like it or not. And that's art. If you don't think you're a dwelling place for God, and thus what you make doesn't reflect God, then see what the Apostle Paul has to say to the Colossians about this. Paul says, Jesus is not only in him, but in all things. And so we are opening our eyes to that reality and unlearning the false reality that we received. We reveal God to the world through what we make together. That's art.
Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul's expanding the idea of who Jesus is because there is a chronology to where Jesus is in the world, right? Where Jesus is incarnated. But Paul is saying, no, he is logically prior to everything because Jesus is preeminent. Too often we reduce our idea of Jesus to something personal. You know, we even say things like Jesus is in our heart. That's a much smaller statement than saying Jesus is in all the world, including us, right? Still true. But there's a bigger idea happening that isn't just happening in the locus of your uh, blood-pumping organ, right? We don't contain Jesus. Jesus contains us. And that's why what we make reflects Jesus, and that's why I now can have an expansive view of my own creations, because they have God in them too. So learn from me and my own mistakes. A pickle is art. <laughs> and you're a piece of art too. And it has nothing to do with being scarce or being hard to approach or being difficult. It has everything to do with the fact that God made you to make things. So let's unlock our creativity. Don't feel pressure to make something beautiful in the eye of some critic or worthy to be hung up in a museum. Create as a matter your life and note the things you make that are artistic in their own right and then develop your mind and heart to see God in them pray for vision pray for clarity pray for the eyes to see and may we as a community call out where we see God in one another's creations let's keep opening our eyes and our minds and our hearts and taking the risk to make something believing that we're artists too Let's pray and do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being here, for being present in this room and in our lives and in the whole world. May, we, uh, may that passage from Colossians be written on our hearts so we know the cosmic magnitude of the event of Jesus in the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.